0: From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerd at Recaps. I'm Greta Johnson and today we are recapping the movie Promising Young Woman. It is up for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actress. Now, if you are at all familiar with this movie, you already know it deals with some tough topics, including suicide and sexual violence. So if that's something you are not up for at the moment that is entirely reasonable, feel free to press pause and maybe come back another time. Also, Peter and Trisha are sitting this one out, but I'm really excited to tell you about the people who are going to help me recap this movie. First up, we have Micaiah Johnson, who wrote the sci-fi book, The Space Between Worlds. Micaiah, hello.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so stoked to talk about this movie.
0: Oh, my gosh. There is so much to talk about. We also have with us the author of Her Body and Other Parties and in the Dreamhouse, Carmen Maria Machado. Carmen, welcome to Nerdette. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, Carmen, you also wrote about Promising Young women for The New Yorker, so we are for sure going to discuss a lot of the things that you have all written about. Um, before we get started, since this is a recap, I just want to be very clear. Here is your spoiler warning. Either you're here because you already saw the movie and you also can't stop thinking about it, or you haven't seen it, but you're okay with spoilers. In either case, we are going to spoil this film. There is so much to discuss with this one. I think before we get started, I would be really curious to hear the contexts that both of you like first heard about and actually watched this film. Makaya, let's start with you because I think you saw it most recently out of any of us. Um,
1: yes, but I have been waiting to see this. I was at this indie theater that played a trailer for it, and you know yes. when you first see that that trailer was such a twist because you just see the woman. You know, you see like oh, yes. oh it's that you know the, the drunk woman at the club. I need to let go. And you get that sense of terror because, you know, you know all of those terrible possibilities. And then you have that wonderful turn of the, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing? Where she like kind of asserts herself. And so like, I watched on theaters and I was like, I want this movie pumped into, like, what, when is it coming out? Yep. And of course yep. then COVID happened and movie theaters were not so much a thing. And so then it just became a like waiting for it to come out to watch at home um, so yeah so I finally got to watch it and I was just like I wanted it to be unexpected in my head I feel like and I think this is I'm I'm sure you're in the same boat where it's like oh as a writer like I'm kind of forming the plot just from like cues and so it was really exciting to not have it be exactly what I wanted it to be but also yes. have it be a lot of what I wanted it
2: to be
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. so Carmen what about you did you watch this as a screener
2: I did, I did. Well, I actually have had a, kind of a similar experience where I saw the trailer for the it, trailer. Like, and I remember also like having the same reaction, like seeing the trailer, being like, "Ooh, that seems like a movie I would be interested in watching." And then, like, yeah, months and months later, um, Jessica Valenti, the the feminist writer, was was mm-hmm. tweeting about it, and I was like, "Oh, right, I'm wanting to see that movie." Um, and she was just like, "You have to see it. I think you're really gonna have a lot to say about it." And I was like, hmm. So then I, I requested a screener and watched it, and of course I had a million things to say about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that trailer! I also saw it in the theater. I'm pretty sure it was for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's yes, that that's was the guess, yes. <laughs>
2: We were all the same place. I love this. That was the last movie I saw in theaters before COVID. Me too. It, I feel like it's like appropriate somehow, but also. No. Like...
0: I did have the thought of like, well, if that's the last movie I ever see in a movie theater, like it could have been much worse. Totally. You know? <laughs> okay, so let's get to at least a rough synopsis. Promising Young Woman is about Cassie, played by Carey Mulligan. She lives with her parents, she works at a coffee shop, and in her free time, she goes to bars and pretends to be extremely drunk and waits for creeps to take her home. Let's listen to one of the earlier clips in the movie when she is doing exactly that.
3: Jesus. Oh, hell, would you look at that? Good God almighty. How'd you get some dignity, sweetheart? You know, they put themselves in danger, girls like that. And she's not careful, someone's going to take advantage, especially kind of guys in this club. Mm -hmm. She's kind of hot. A hot fucking mess <laughs> hey let's talk to Brian I think he might be
2: amendable to the idea if we all present a very nice I mean,
3: that is just
2: asking for it ugh look at that like you think you'd learn by that age right, right?
3: well even our friends just kind of ran off somewhere leaving her laying around for anyone to pick up
0: <laughs>
3: sounds like a challenge Paul
0: yeah maybe I'll go over Oh,
3: oh, oh, oh. Jerry! My God, I did not
0: know. Let's see is. if she's okay. Yeah, oh, no, yeah.
3: of course. Sure, go uh-huh. for it, big fella. Yeah, let's go see. It? We're Make pulling sure for okay. you. Oh my God! Hey, you okay? I
0: have to say, it was really hard to choose clips from this movie because they're all so good. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like every interaction has this fascinating combination of like somehow being kind of funny but also being so incisive and intense and I think that's kind of the perfect example right there
1: and they all hint at like a larger thing like even in that clip right before that they're talking about like the girl at work who you know complains so much because she can't get to the golf club it's like every statement is not itself
2: it's the 10,000 mm-hmm. other
1: things that it's connected to
0: yes that's such a good way of putting it
2: yeah, I think what's interesting about that dialogue too is is the way you hear them talking themselves into it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, I feel like one of my critiques of this film is I do feel like some of the dialogue is a little on the nose mm. on occasion. And I, I feel like this it like gets very close to that. But I do think there's something really interesting about how they are... Start off with this very sort of judgmental position and then are like slowly talking themselves into the thing that they're that one of them is about to try. Um, which I I feel like feels right (laughs) and feels like appropriate.
1: It's like once it's invoked, it's like you know it's coming, where it's like, oh, that girl over there is really drunk, and then you already like you're already thinking, like, oh, this is going to go there, but you see them all like not saying until they say, until that it sounds like a challenge, right? Until they get into that line. And I agree about some of the dialogue being very pointed, it makes some of the characters seem more like allegories, like more like. types than mm. characters which I think is probably I, I imagine by design um and the thing, the terrible thing is how familiar it is right like a lot of times you're hearing these yeah. things about these survivors or not survivors and it sounds like cliche like oh it's cliche they said that but how terrible is it that saying something like she does it, they put themselves in danger is cliche where mm-hmm. it's like yeah why are we hearing that so much so that it can enter that category of speech
0: right 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 Yeah. So she. what keeps happening is that she keeps getting taken home by these creeps. And when things get like just almost too far, but not quite, she snaps back into sobriety, which I think is really interesting. And I don't know. One thing I was curious to ask y'all is if like based on the trailer, I thought she was going to like be extremely violent at these people.
2: It's so interesting to me because I feel like I also I mean, I also expected and I feel like the, the movie like hints at that, like even in that first interaction. So the one that's about to come from this clip we just heard, yeah, you know, where he takes her home. Um, you know, we don't see what happens after she confronts him, and the right. next shot is her walking with like a um a hot dog that she's eating. <laughs> yes. a, sort of like a pseudo walk of shame, and there's like it looks like blood like on her leg, and then you realize it's ketchup. Like she's eating very like messily, eating <laughs> this hot dog, and you don't actually know that she didn't like kill him until much later when like she meets another guy from that same group who's like, "Oh, uh-huh. you're that psycho that Jerry took home." But it's interesting how the movie like hints at this thing that I think for the the genre that this movie is in, like the rape sort of rape revenge, which often have like really truly gory and violent sort of comeuppances for, for yeah. the men. And so it's interesting that it's like hinted at, but that does not come to that kind of fruition, at least not for them.
0: So one day when she's working at the coffee shop, uh, Ryan, who's played by Bo Burnham, comes in. And I'm really curious how y'all read this character. Let's listen to him recognizing her from med school. Cassandra? <laughs> yeah.
3: Ryan? Cooper, we were in class together at Forest Med School. Second year neurology, Dr. Hadid's class. Oh. Yeah. Ryan, hi. God. Why are you working here? Or, I didn't mean, to.
1: <laughs> that was rude. I didn't.
3: You didn't mean, what am I doing working in a shitty coffee shop? Yeah, no, I just meant, you know, given there's no getting out of this, is there? nuh uh-uh. I'm going to leave. Can I leave and then come back and I can do it, I can do it again and be better. You so... want milk? Pardon? In your coffee?
0: No, but, uh. You can spin in it if you want. I, I deserve that.
3: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> so I'm curious how this character read to you. The first time I watched it, you know, until I found out that, like, he, you know, is part of the problem. I found him to be extremely charming. What?! I'm sorry. Yes, I know. I
1: know. <laughs> I know. I I thought we all. I was ready. I thought we were gonna hold hands and hate him. <laughs> the whole time I was just like, "Who is this unwashed boy?" Like I was,
0: <laughs> I was, I was waiting. So when the turn came, where it's like, "Oh, he's not so great." I was like, "I knew it. I knew it." <sighs> yeah. I mean, the scene that got me, and it was interesting reading about it because Emerald Fennel talks about like the scene where he sings the Paris Hilton song at her oh, in the pharmacy. Oh, yes, is yeah. like, "Oh, look at this cute boy."
3: I'm sorry. Are you singing Paris what? Yeah. Oh, Just okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. It's fine, It's, fine, it's
1: fine. That, That's fair. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, I love a boy who knows Paris <laughs> But he like walks her to his apartment and I'm like,
0: I see you. I see you, Bo Burnham. Well, but then like that scene was so interesting, too, because she turns him down Or no, she says she's willing to go up and then he takes it back. Like, it still seems like he reads boundaries better than many of the men in this film. I can say that at least. Oh,
1: for sure. Uh, As the men in this film, like, he is the best of the men in this film, which, of course, the bar is on the ground, right? The bar is in hell. But yes, (laughs) (laughs) this is
2: a point I will concede. (laughs) What did you think, Carmen? Well, uh, so I thought he was extremely cute, which is... Uh I should have been the first sign that he was a bad guy because I have abysmal (laughs) taste in men. Like, I mean, he's very charming and funny and like all Mm -hmm. the things. I mean, I I, I talk about this in my essay a little bit, but there was this amazing quote that I read on Twitter, which I talk about in the essay, about how like one of the more interesting sort of choices happening in this film is like the weaponization of the casting. So like Mm. all the sort of men are being cast like a lot of the the male characters including him are sort of these like aw shucks sort of like beta male cuties you yes. know from like comedy and like from and, and and that there's this weird it's like you know this can't be serious you know he can't mean mean you any real harm like and and that's that ha- you know and that's like just the people that have been chosen to be in these roles yeah and i feel like he was well picked in that way like he does read i feel like as a pretty normal decent guy which I think is sort of the point. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Like, he's the
1: one you know. Like, you know this guy. And you're so right about the casting. Like, it was truly oh. like the non-threatening male Rolodex, right? Yeah. You have, like, Adam Brody. You have, like, Mick mm-hmm. Levin, um Schmidt from New York. Like, all these guys that are really, they're not, like, the toxic male chads that are usually cast in these roles and easy right. to kind of dismiss as a caricature. Like, they are the ones, like, oh, you remember being charmed by these same faces. And even, like, Allison Brie, like, who has not at some point loved and had a crush on Alison Brie. And then in this role. Connie Britton. Oh, Connie Britton. I was like, like my heart. (laughs) It was such good casting.
0: Totally. Well, and the ones that really got me, I think, were Chris Lloyd and Max Greenfield, who both played love interests in Veronica Mars, let alone like Adam Brody from the OC. There was this like teenage crush element for me of like, these were the boys who I thought were really great boys, you know? Yeah
1: oh first of all thank you for reminding me of where I remembered him from Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: but also I do think and and this is where I switch into kind of uh critical race killjoy like they kind of had to be white right um so these these men kind of have to be because that's a very different story so like we're engaging in a Mm. fantasy where a woman's sexual violation is met with a violent retribution as if it does not happen and that is absolutely true in like white on white Mm -hmm. violence but of course like I'm a 19th century American it's like academically so I for every lynching there is often a white woman's name attached to it right. and so it's like it kind of has to tell this story and I think very early on you realize like okay this is a film for a certain audience this is not a film for a queer audience this is not a film for a black audience right um, and so there are like limitations to that representation because of course if you tell that story and you recast the main villain as a black man like that's yeah. necessarily new or fresh then you're getting into very different territory with that violence and very very different territory with that revenge so it's really tricky ground
0: yeah I think that makes total sense I think we should listen to another clip of a creepo dude incident so at this point Cassie has met Ryan and at first she keeps going with her revenge stuff so this time the guy who picks her up is Christopher Mince are
3: you trying to say that I'm um, like a predator or something
0: I don't know are you
3: I'm a nice guy. You keep saying that, but you're not as rare as you think. You know how I know? Who? Because every week, I go to a club. And every week, I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every fucking week, a nice guy like you comes over to see if I'm okay. You want to fuck me still? Thank you, ma'am. Hmm. No one ever does. Careful next time you go out, Neil. Your novel sounds terrible, by the way.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to include that final line.
0: <laughs> yes! Oh, my God. I just think it's so funny. Well, and that's a version where we do at least in that one instance, get to see what happens after she reveals herself to be sober, which I think is interesting just in terms of, you know, because last, there was such a sudden cut with the first instance Mm -hmm. that I think that was interesting. Though it's still like, is she just giving these dudes a stern talking to and is that really what the world needs is still like one of my biggest criticisms of this movie, I think. Mm -hmm. So after meeting Ryan, she, Cassie kind of seems like she decides to refocus her revenge around what happened to her friend Nina who and this is a story that kind of unfolds slowly throughout the course of the movie Uh, Nina and Cassie were best friends for a really long time and they were in med school together and Nina was raped at a party in front of a bunch of people and essentially what happened was that Cassie and Nina both dropped out of school um, so that Cassie could help take care of Nina. And she tried to accuse the guy who did it. And of course, nothing happened. I guess. I don't know. I was going to revise my of course, but I'm not going to revise my of course. And Nina ends up killing herself, which is something that we don't really like. It takes a while to learn that that's what happened. But essentially, we're able to piece together that that's why Cassie is doing what she's doing. And she ends up meeting up with her friend Madison, who we kind of mentioned. She's played by and Brie. Let's listen to the scene and then we'll discuss. You remember what happened, right? Oh, such
3: a long time ago now. I know, but you remember. I mean, vaguely. Do you ever think about it? Why would I? Right. Why would you? So if a friend came to you now, came to your house and told you That they thought something bad had happened to them the night before. Cassie! Something bad. It was years ago. What would you say? uh, What would you say? uh, Ugh, I'm sorry. A little weird. Would you roll your eyes behind her back and dismiss the whole thing as drama? (laughs) I don't know why you're mad at me. Okay, hey, I'm not the only one who didn't believe it. Even if you have a reputation for sleeping around, then maybe people aren't going to believe you when you say something's happened.
0: I mean, it's crying wolf. Ugh, it's just so brutal.
1: And for the later reveal that there was a video, and that character knew about it, and so to even hide behind the crying wolf line when they had concrete evidence, it's just—it's just you're parroting the lines without actually like putting it in your brain and that's not fiction right like we hear people we, we've all survived like the Brett Kavanaugh trial right where you hear people say things that don't logically make sense but it's like it's the thing that you say in that situation
2: yeah I mean I feel like so much of this movie also is is about because i mean like ostensibly all the people who are sort of doing all these things think of themselves as good people like if you mm-hmm. ask them if they were essentially moral they would probably say yes mm-hmm. and i mean the not just the men like the women as mm-hmm. well right and there's and there's sort of this way in which they've created a narrative in which their choices were the correct ones even when it that falls apart at the slightest at the slightest push you're like oh but if yeah. you know and i and i feel like there's something so r- real about that, I feel I, it just reminds. I don't know. I really admire how the movie like shows the characters seeming to have that perspective. Like it's fine. Like I'm basically still good.
0: Yes, yeah. yes Well, and I think another really good example of that, which we have audio of also, is when Cassie goes to visit the dean of the law school, mm-hmm. who's played by Connie Britton. Because that's another one where it's just yeah. I mean, let's listen.
3: None of us want to admit when we've made ourselves vulnerable when we've made a bad choice. And those choices, those mistakes can be so damaging and really regrettable. Regrettable? Yes, I mean, because what would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life every time we get an accusation like this? So you're happy to take the boy's word for it? I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Of course you do. Because innocent until proven guilty. No arguing with that. No. Ugh.
1: It's ice in my veins, just the, the way that line is delivered. Cody Britain, a goddess, but just mm-hmm. that exact thing. And like what I was thinking about, what we were saying before, we're like these, like a lot of these people do believe they're good people. And these men think they're good people. And the reason is like, they have an amazing support system convincing them of that they have their Max Greenfield yeah. friend, right? And they have their institutions, which have confused yeah. achievement with goodness. Like mm-hmm. Brock Turner sometimes makes him a good person. Uh, graduating Yale makes him a good person. And therefore this crime doesn't matter. doesn't negate his good personness. And that I saw that so heavily in that scene, how an institutional like nod or like, Oh, he came back here to speak like the kind of laurels that are placed there help that person believe, no, I'm a good person. Like, I'm going to get married. I'm fine because look at this institution telling me I'm fine. Look at society telling me I'm fine.
0: Well, and that's normally the context that we hear. You know, the Mm -hmm. title, I think, is a nod to that, right? Because normally it's like, oh, well, he he had so much potential. He was such a promising young man. Of course we can't. You know, why should he have to pay for that one mistake he made so long ago? These accusations
1: ruined his life exactly it was right here being accused of rape that was such a great line that was such a great moment
0: Ooh, we have that moment too no. actually should we just <laughs> Sorry, listen to I'm it just, right now I'm just, <laughs> no that's okay we can go guys. for it i think that's actually the last clip we've got let's take a listen to it after the break think on your feet for our fast and curious 5k a one-of-a-kind race hosted by wbez and the chicago sun times on saturday july 27th at humboldt park More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. There is actually at least one scene I want to talk about before we get to the the bachelor party, though. And that is when she meets with the lawyer. Mm -hmm. Which, the tone of that scene was so fascinating. And part of me, I don't know, I'm not sure that I totally bought the like automatic kind of retribution Mm. i don't know i thought it was really fascinating i thought the religious symbolism in that scene also was really fascinating i'm curious what y'all's reads on that was i mean there's a pretty robust
2: tradition in the in the rape revenge genre of religious overtones um Hmm. like in sort of one of the sort of proto- uh rape revenge films i spit on your grave um there's this scene where she says forgive me father for i will sin like there's this there's a lot of this like sort of divine retribution i mean that is like a a theme that i think appears and like i feel like that's just like a thing that it's interesting to see how it manifests here it's like him. yeah that is interesting so instead of it being this like sort of divine retribution it's like him begging for her forgiveness and saying like i can't sleep and she has to like basically perfor like she's like a priest like she has to absolve him right um, and even because- when she
0: shows up he's like are you my reckoning like yeah, he knows exactly. it's coming he's been exactly. waiting for yes. someone like i don't know it was i mean it's it, it was a fascinating scene but part of me was like that was too easy to get that dude on her side.
1: I I know that scene was so fascinating. And thank you, Carmen, because I had no idea about this tradition. But yeah, the religious symbolism okay. was something that was so like in the very first scene, she's Christ posed as she's laying there with her arms out when before she has her moment of like, what are you doing? Oof. But no, I really I really love that. I didn't know that. But the thing about that scene that amazes me is she never is surprised throughout the film. It's like everybody does exactly what she mm. thinks they're going to do. And, like, the surprise um, for, like, her boyfriend is, oh, you're actually nice. But then, of course, that gets turned. She's like, no, I was right the first time. But this is the first moment where she seems almost off kilter, where she's like, this wasn't how this was supposed to go. Like, she knew how Connie Britton was going to react. Every other person, she knew enough to predict their actions to the point of, like, the final scene. Like, she knows people that intimately this is when we see her kind of off kilter of like, wait, this was not, and then have to like cancel her plans to presumably, I don't know, have this guy beat up. I don't know what the plan was, but she had mm-hmm. plans with some dude outside. And so that's something the words like I was as off put our off kilter as she was in that scene Worth like, is this what's happening? Is this, do we believe this?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I think it's a really interesting choice. I think making mm-hmm. w- at least one person have had some kind of reckoning with their conscience. I mean, it's not as if, she gets there and like he then has the reckoning. He's been having it. That's yes, true. That would yes. have been
0: very ridiculous.
2: It's like he quit his job. He's yes. like, yeah, I told him to like send my address to anyone who came looking for me. Like he's clearly in the middle of some kind of crisis mm-hmm. um, of his conscience, which like, I believe is possible. Um, and I feel like it's it's just an interesting decision um, mm-hmm. to sort of show, just to, to have that one character. Cause yeah, right. It is like the first time that she's like truly surprised by someone's actions. Um which I thought was like interesting. Like, I I don't know. I liked it. It yeah. it was. It also surprised me, which I mean was nice. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It's like
1: the one like you want to believe in that. Like you want to believe that it's not all like everybody else. That there are people who are like I've lived this life and like I hate myself for it and now yeah. I want to make amends. Yeah.
0: yeah. So after the lawyer scene, Cassie goes to visit Nina's mom, who very interestingly I thought was played by Molly Shannon, who did a great job. It's a short scene, and. That's when we get the cute Paris Hilton love montage with her and Ryan and Ryan meets the parents and Cassie's dad says this really sweet and heartbreaking thing after Ryan leaves where he says essentially like we've known you know Nina was like a daughter to us and we've missed her a lot too but we also really missed you Mm -hmm. which was just really beautiful Um, and then right after that is when Cassie gets this video of what happened to Nina um which we don't actually see. We we watch Cassie watching the video. Which this is the weirdest thing to compare it to, but have y'all was it that movie Grizzly Man? I
2: literally oh my god, this is so funny. In my in my <laughs> in my New Yorker essay, I actually
0: yes. did compare
2: it to the exact that scene in Grizzly Man. And then I ended up taking it out of the essay. I was
0: gonna say, I don't remember seeing Grizzly Man in your
2: essay. <laughs> no, it wasn't in there. Be- because I was trying to think of like, and there is sort of a tradition. I mean, Grizzly Man is a good example, because it's like, yeah, Werner Herzog being like, no, one must watch this. Like it must be
0: destroyed. right, right. So yeah, to to explain for people who haven't seen Grizzly Man, it's about this dude who lived with grizzlies in Alaska and like ends up getting eaten by a grizzly bear. And there's video footage of it, right? Or is it just audio?
2: It's audio because his his camera, the lens was. The cap was on the lens, but the audio. So it's audio of this man
0: being like brutally eaten and his and his girlfriend, too, wasn't it? It was like, right, right, right. And, you know, there's the argument that like what an insane thing, like what crazy audio to have exist in the world, you know, but like to not to decide not to use that. And instead, there's footage of him listening to it. It's his reaction. And it creates a filter or a boundary that in some ways I think is even more profound than going through the trauma of actually listening to it yourself.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I there's something really fascinating to me about... This idea that like it's like unwatchable, that like we are not allowed to see it or, or hear it. Yeah. I mean, even though we yeah. do hear it slightly, a little bit in the mm-hmm. in the movie in in Promising Young Woman, but like said right. that, that this thing is right. This thing is so un- unseeable and that like we even we are not allowed to see it, which al- also is fascinating to me because this is also a film in which we never see the rape. Like yes. a lot of rape revenge films, the rape is like a huge part of the film. Yeah, to the point of there's these questions about like titillation like is yes. it to be or is it like so extensive that it doesn't I mean there's all these like moral questions around like to show or not show sexual violence on the screen well
0: right because it's either titillation or intense trauma right yeah I mean or, I, trauma, you know.
2: or but then also you have this other risk which is like if you don't show it and then like the person goes on a killing spree does mm-hmm. then their response seem really like hysterical and out like, like out of proportion. Of course. So like, there's all these like interesting questions about like what it means to show or not show sexual violence in general, but also like in this kind of film. And I thought it was interesting how the, the various choices that she made about like, how to sort of frame the sexual violence and keep it off screen and keep everything kind of away from us, which I thought was really interesting.
0: Yeah. I I thought that was a really fascinating choice and one that I appreciated a lot Mm -hmm. too, just because, I mean, I think partly what makes this film so striking to me is that it is while being about sexual violence, it is completely devoid of the male gaze. Yes. Which is so refreshing. Which is such a weird thing to say about this topic, but here we are. You know,
1: yeah. And that kind of goes into why we're not getting kind of the the bloody, you know, hatchet revenge where she's killing them. Is we're not giving into the masculine nature of these tropes. We're not going to have her avenged by a male counterpart. We're not going to have like the kind of salacious, um, you know, vision of the actual like violation. We're instead going to make these decisions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the the fact that we don't need like that mainly what we hear on the video is other people watching what's happening. Turns out, shocker, that one of those people is Ryan. And I punch the sky in the vindication. <laughs> uh, so Cassie, of course, confronts him about it. He that I we don't have the clip, but like that reversal, mm. like his complete 180 in that moment where he's like honey honey what's wrong what's wrong and then like fuck you essentially like is so intense and sickening um but essentially what happens is that cassie manipulates him into giving her the address for Monroe's bachelor party Monroe being the guy who raped nina so it's like this is where it's all headed um and then she goes to the bachelor party, and there's an instrumental version of Britney Spears' Toxic playing as she walks up to the house, which I just thought was really amazing. She's dressed as a nurse. She gets everybody super drunk and brings Al upstairs for his, you know, what he assumes will be a lap dance or whatever, I assume. And she confronts him. And let's listen. You kind of hinted at this, Micaiah, but let's let's listen to that scene.
2: I'll, I'll give you anything, okay? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. Anything. Oh, don't cry.
3: Really, don't fucking cry. Tell me what you did. I didn't
2: do anything wrong, though!
3: She dropped out. Top of her class, and she dropped out. I did, too, to take care of her. The two of us gone. <laughs> You graduated magna cum laude, though. Did you ever feel guilty, or did you just feel relieved that she'd gone?
2: I was affected by it, too. Okay, I mean, it's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that.
3: Can you guess what every woman's
0: worst nightmare is? So, Carmen, do you think, is that one of those scenes where you're like, yeah, this dialogue is a little too on the nose? It's a little,
2: yes, it is. But I I still, obviously, this scene was very... um, chilling and truly shocking I uh I feel like it's so rare that I'm genuinely surprised by a movie nowadays yes it it happens almost never and I was genuinely like I was sitting in my um my office watching it and I like after this whole sequence sort of played out I couldn't I had couldn't like sit down I had to like stand up and like pace my office and I was like and then after the movie was over I had to go get like comfort (laughs) from the people in my
0: house Uh (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so so yeah he kills her he strangles her he suffocates her uh he manages to get loose from one of the handcuffs that she had you know like fun sexy handcuffs that she had tied him up in and he puts a pillow over her head and it takes a really long time and she struggles and she dies and his buddy max i forget what his name is in the movie max greenfield comes up the next morning and they like dispose of the body and i yeah i mean not only was i surprised i was just like wait what like this isn't right again with the like this isn't the revenge romp i was expecting what did you think makaya
1: it was so great because i was like oh so she's gonna let him beat her up and then she's got evidence and it's like oh she's gonna and now she's not actually dead she's gonna and then there's like But there's like the fire. You're just like, wait, no, this is real. There is one last kind of very meta moment where they know that you want more than this. They know that it's not satisfying. And then you get that text message. You didn't think that was the end, did you? And it's like, No, I didn't. Because even like verbally watching it in my home, so probably for the best I didn't see in theaters, I was like, no, no. What? No. Yeah. Because you don't want that to be the end and that it it satisfyingly is not.
0: So, I mean, yes, I'm satisfied that that wasn't the end. But I I think the end is the part of this movie that I was the most frustrated with, actually. Mm. Like, one, because I don't think scheduled texts are a thing you can do. But even beyond that, like so we're we're just relying on the justice system? Like that's the moral of the story here is that like if if you get killed, then maybe someone will take this seriously enough that people will go to jail for their bad behavior. Right. I mean I think
2: I agree in that, like I had the same thought about the legal system, which is just like, oh, like the as if the police can do jack shit about anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, legal system is a better way of putting it than justice system, right?
2: Right, like it's like okay, so like that, and it's like it's and it's certainly interesting, but I also feel like it's not really. I don't know. I think of thinking of it as a moral. Is that quite right? Like I, I sort of read this movie as just like rape as sort of immolation, like yes. rape as like obliterating yeah. force, and like literally, it's like, and it's funny because like obviously this is about it's like Nina's rape is at the center of the film, but like. I sort of argue my essay and the way I sort of think of it is like because there's a lot of language that's very ambiguous and almost it sounds like she's often describing her own assault even though she's not um so like Cassie like in that whole conversation that she has with Madison she's like almost it almost sounds like she's describing her own assault and not Nina's and so I, I sort of think that like the fact that like this one act of of sexual violence managed to like literally destroy two women in the process of playing out feels like appropriate. I mean, it's not satisfying. It's very it's very depressing, but it feels right. like accurate in a way that I think sometimes rape revenge films feel like wishful thinking. Um, mm, yeah, sense. yeah. So I don't think there's like a moral or a lesson. Just sort of like, well. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: it's just a truth right um right, like yeah. if you want anything like a revenge you destroy yourself to get it right and whether that's mm-hmm. literal or you know your career or your academic life like whatever it is like there's no like the blood will be yours first and I feel like again like it's not a moral it's not a hope it's not a, it's just here this is just the s- state of the world But it is, I agree, where I don't think it's supposed to feel like the victory. I think it's supposed to feel like this is what we, not, like, kind of, this is what we settle for. Like, this is the best we can do. This is the best
2: we can get. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, dark, but, like, also, I don't know, feels... Right it feels like a really interesting way again to like think about this genre mm-hmm. and, it, and it also feels to me i don't know, like a love story like her love story with her friend like it's like yeah it's like she yes. loved her friend so much that her friend's undoing was her own undoing um which i think is really and like you know so many rape revenge films when they do involve like a proxy avenger like often involve a man who's like avenging a wife or a girlfriend or a daughter or whatever and there's something right. really i don't know like really tender I'm really like heartbreaking about it being this woman who's just like, I love my, like that whole monologue she gives uh, Al-, Al the rapist when she's all tied up and she's talking about yeah. Nina and who Nina was as a young girl. Yeah. Like I-, I-, I bawled. I mean, I was like yeah. crying in my- alone in my office just being like, God. And like, there's just something about that that feels so just devastating and 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 new, like a new way of thinking about or looking at, I think sexual violence in the sort of film in the cinematic context I don't know yes
1: like the idea of female friendship and female love being the caretaker and the steward of that kind of revenge is like it's so refreshing like a lot of the female relationships in this I really liked we have not talked about Jennifer Coolidge but that's another thing where she's like so. It's so unusual to see her in this role. She's like see her as the mother. Oh yeah, and she's amazing. Like she just so good. Like I, you mentioned Molly Shannon, but it's the same thing where these are both roles that I'm not interested yeah. seeing them in, and they both just killed it as mothers. They're both
0: like improv comedians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they still like
1: the subtlety of her performance when she's talking to the cops, and it's like no, she, you know, she's fine. And the dad's like, oh, I don't know if that's true. And she's like, well, she's doing yeah. better like that her trying to once again act as a preserver of her daughter's mm-hmm. legacy in mm-hmm. the same way that Cassie was being, it's just, there was so much subtle hinting at that. And obviously like by necessity, there's a lot of like dude-ness in this, right? They have to be the the focus um, mm-hmm. as like the antagonists, right? But the, the moments in which those like kind of performances happen are just so soft and so sweet. I just, I just truly, truly great. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I find so fascinating, about, I mean, like as, as frustrating as I did find certain aspects of this movie, it like the word that keeps coming back to me to describe it is refreshing, Mm. which is so, it's so weird. And like, you know, I've tried to describe it to people who haven't heard about it. And, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's about a, a woman who is like practice. She's, you know, trying to get revenge for her best friend who was raped. And so she's like getting super drunk or, you know, pretending to be super drunk and luring men. And like, Like, nothing about that sounds refreshing, (laughs) you know? Like, it's such a difficult movie to describe how I actually felt after watching it. I don't know. Yeah.
1: And the two things that you expect and dread in a film like this is, one, you're going to have to witness a graphic rape to set off the action. And two, at the end, they're going to be victorious in this really bloody way. Like, those are the two things that you're... But for the blood to be her own, and then for the experience of watching it, like, she suffers through that. You don't. It's just everything that you expect is, is are those two things are not present and so it is hard to say like no it's different and I think refreshing is a perfectly applicable word here
0: yeah thank you I appreciate that validation <laughs> what do you think
2: Carmen I was just gonna say also I guess we haven't like I don't know if we've really given enough I, I feel like Carrie Mullikett is amazing in yeah. this movie oh, like I so feel like good. we haven't really like talked enough about her performance specifically mm-hmm. but I mean obviously the supporting cast is all really good like everybody does a really good job but like there she is she yes. is there is something about the way that she plays Cassie that I found extremely watchable, even while I was like, I don't know, getting a sense of the dimensions of the pain of this person. Um I, I really just I thought she was great.
0: Well, gosh, I feel like we could keep talking about this movie for hours. Yeah, no, I know. Well, I
2: appreciate being able to, you know, it's so funny because after I watched it, I was like, I need to talk to everybody about this movie. And so I'm really grateful to have been able to talk about it. Yay! Good. especially in quarantine
1: otherwise I'm just like screaming at the cardinals outside of my window so
0: <laughs> oh I'm so glad yeah I think this conversation like definitely helped scratch an itch that I've had since watching it where it's just like but can't we just keep like there's just so much there's just so yes. much in it so I am so grateful for each of you not only for watching it but for bringing such like wonderful thoughts to this conversation I think it was really wonderful
2: thank, thank you. you thanks
0: Thank you so much for listening to this very special recaps episode. I hope you liked it. Carmen and Micaiah both have amazing books out. Carmen Maria Machado's latest is a memoir. It's called in the dream house and Micaiah Johnson's book is the space between worlds. It actually just happens to have been Nerdette's January book club pick. That panel discussion is one of my favorite chats that we've had. So check that out. And by the way, I also want to say if you or someone, you know, is struggling with suicidal thoughts, the national suicide Hotline phone number is 800-273-8255. They provide free and confidential support 24 seven. The show is produced by me and Isabel Carter. Brendan Bannazak is our executive producer. Bye. Thanks for hanging out y'all.